Welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. I'm very fortunate today. My guest is Parker Lewis of Unchained Capital. Welcome in, Parker. Good to be here. All right. We're going to deep dive into Bitcoin mining, talk about the state of Texas and all that. But the first thing we have to do is realize that my mom listens to this. So will you tell my mom who you are and what Unchained Capital does? So... My name is Parker Lewis. Uh, I'm the head of business development at Unchained Capital. We're based in Austin, Texas. It is a Bitcoin native financial services company. What we ultimately do is help people um, secure their Bitcoin in a way where we eliminate a financial institution as a single point of failure. And then we help people uh, who value us as a custody partner um, with everything else that they need in Bitcoin, helping people buy and sell Bitcoin, lending against Bitcoin, um, if they don't want to sell it but need some liquidity, we also have retirement inheritance uh, products and services. So we only focus on Bitcoin and a lot of what I do personally, uh, in addition to helping execute and run our company and strategy um, from a lot of the client acquisition, relationship development, what products and services we offer. I also educate a lot about Bitcoin. So I, um, I've i written a series called Gradually Then Suddenly on Bitcoin, 17 long form essays that basically explain in an accessible way everything that you'd ever want to know about Bitcoin. To, to Where do people find that? It's on our website, unchained.com. Uh, if they go to resources, it's shortened down to the GTS series, Gradually Then Suddenly. Um, you can find all of my writings there. Uh, there's also Audible versions of that uh, provided by Bitcoin Audible. Um, so they're great resources. They're, they're structured in such a way where people can read them. Um, each essay is self-contained on a particular subject. People most often have a common set of questions. So it's designed to help accelerate people's paths to understanding Bitcoin. And uh, and then I also help organize meetups. So I organize the Austin Bitcoin Developers Meetup. I'm based in Austin. We're based in Austin. And I also help organize the Houston Bitcoin Meetup, which is focused on mining and energy. So a lot of education, which is core to, to people's um, kind of understanding and then becoming clients of Unchained. And I'm so glad you've done that because I've been asked to do that. And I figured out that I'm fundamentally the most lazy person I know, maybe the most lazy person on the planet, and that being unemployed really works for me. So I'm glad I don't have to do this. I can just link to your site. That's what I'm here for. There, I, yeah. I appreciate that. See, Mom, you can go learn it's all called, you It's want. called efficiency, not laziness, Chuck. Uh, there we go. You yeah. know, that's Bill Gates's BS. He always says, go find the laziest person and give them the task because they'll find the easiest way to get it done. Well, there we go. So let's talk. Let's do this real quick because Bitcoin mining, I probably understand it from about 30,000 feet. But walk me through it to maybe 20,000 feet or maybe 15. What is mining, actually, when we're talking about Bitcoin mining? Well, let me put that back to you. Okay. Tell me your 30,000-foot view so that I can then get you to the 20,000-foot view. Okay, that's a fair question. So as I understand it, Bitcoin, we have a decentralized network. So all these separate computers talk to each other, function together, but are ultimately decentralized. And so when we want to add a transaction, I send you a Bitcoin, 
we want to add it to the blockchain ledger that's keeping track of every Bitcoin. So every Bitcoin ever created has a ledger that says Parker owned it, then Chuck owned it, although it's accounts um, and the like. When we want to do that, somebody enters into the ledger, you know, Chuck sent Parker one Bitcoin. And then's where it kind of gets hazy because all the computers are doing something, which I'll just say is solving a riddle. And boom, 10 minutes later, that winds up in the blockchain. Am okay. I anywhere close? You're, 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 in, you're, in, you're close. You're in the vicinity. Okay. okay? 32,000 so, feet, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. 33. Yeah, okay. 33, yeah. And a, 33 okay. and a half, 32 and a half, okay. somewhere in that zip code. Okay. okay Correct so, me and then take me a little deeper. Okay. Let me, I'm going to, I'm going to go to 40,000 feet and then I'm going to come bring you into 20. Okay. okay I'm going to bring you into the approach. So first for, for the listeners, the way that I think about, um, Bitcoin mining is that if I could singularly or most simplify the function, it is providing security to the Bitcoin network. Um, mining equals security and ensuring the integrity of the Bitcoin network. There are actually a number of things that secure the Bitcoin network but mining is a critical column. Um, if I step back one step, it is painting a picture for people and we won't go into, we'll be focused on mining and, and the relationship to energy, but I, I always like for people to have context of what that energy is doing, that if I was to simplify the reason why Bitcoin is of fundamental value to the world, it is because there will only ever be 21 million. And what that represents is a form of money that can't be printed. Um, and that that is ultimately of value to virtually everybody in the world. Everyone would benefit from having a form of money that can't be printed. What this mining function is doing is it is providing security to ensure principally two things, um, that there will only ever be 21 million and that Bitcoin can't be spent twice. Um, both to, Or thinking about that another way, that every Bitcoin transaction that is sent is valid. Uh, and for a Bitcoin transaction to be valid, there are two principal things that must be true. There's more than these two, but there's two principally in a human readable version, which is every Bitcoin transactions that, that's being set had to be that Bitcoin had to originate um, from a Bitcoin block that was consistent with the 21 million supply cap. Okay. Um, and then when it is sent that that Bitcoin can't have previously been spent such that if I say I had a Bitcoin and I sent it to Chuck and Colin at the same time and I asked you both for your cars, the Bitcoin network has a way to know which one of those two things happened first. Even if it was simultaneously, the, the network would resolve that one of them was um, the valid transaction. Um, so ensuring that there will only ever be 21 million and ensuring that all Bitcoin transactions are valid and validity is consistent with those two things, 21 million and Bitcoin hasn't previously been spent. So that is what the mining function is doing. Now, if you want me to get into that next layer down of like, what is mining actually? Um, should I yeah, go into that? Yeah, no, I'd love, I'd love to hear that. Okay. This, and this is, I don't know if the listeners care, I care. So that, I, I <laughs> and think, I've got you undivided for think about if, an hour. I think so, if yeah. you care, I think your listeners care. When I go to the meetups and sit down and educate about Bitcoin, especially for people in the energy business that are seeing that they're there is a role for them to play, um, uh, probably a, a role larger than they actually understand that the energy business and Bitcoin. And we'll get into we'll this. Get into I that. actually think they ought to be the 900-pound gorilla in it, but keep Agreed. going. Yeah. Okay. So mining, if, 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 I, if I go from 
down the level from it's providing security of the network, protecting the fixed supply, the whole thing why Bitcoin is valuable. The next thing is well, what is what is mining actually? Um, and what mining actually is is um, think about a Bitcoin miner as a specialized computer. Today, the specialized computer run uh, ASIC chips that are built purpose for Bitcoin and securing the Bitcoin network. And ASIC is an application-specific integrated circuit. Um, but just think about there is a computer running that's basically plugged into a power source uh, that's running the Bitcoin protocol, and it is doing a few things. It is receiving all Bitcoin transactions that are being set anywhere in the world, and it's looking at each transaction and saying, is this a valid Bitcoin transaction? If it's valid, I'm going to um, package up a group of, of valid transactions, and I'm going to uh, run energy and, and what's effectively happening. The best analogy that like substantively what it is doing, it is clearing, validating and clearing for final settlement all current Bitcoin transactions in the network. So when every time a Bitcoin transaction is sent, it is distributed to all miners simultaneously and to all Bitcoin nodes on the network, which a node doesn't have to be a miner. A node could just be a computer that's transmitting transactions. But the entire network is um, assessing the validity of each transaction. And the miners, what they are doing is they are effectively appending new history um, to the Bitcoin blockchain, which is really just think about that as an ordering system. That ordering system is critical to knowing whether a Bitcoin has previously been spent. Uh, and so oftentimes people hear blockchain and, and they don't understand what it means, but it's just there's a certain capacity of transactions that can clear through the network approximately every 10 minutes and they get appended on in what we call blocks, but think about them as just series of transactions. The relevance of that is knowing which one happened before the other such that if I sent a transaction to you five days ago and then you sent it along to somebody else, they needed to know what what transaction happened first. Now, if I get into, okay, well, help me understand what that actually means. I'll, so think about the, the, the way I explain this is think about there's 100 miners and imagine they each had a gigawatt of power and there's 100 gigawatts securing the Bitcoin network. All miners anywhere in the world are competing with each other 24-7. Um, and so... Each miner is functionally doing the same thing. They are, they are at any point in time trying to solve the next Bitcoin block. They're trying to win the um, – solve the, the problem. And I, the way I describe this riddle is that it's not actually a hard math problem. It's one that no one can be better at. The only way that you can be better at is being more efficient at how you um, produce or – how you produce energy and reduce your cost that way or how efficient you are from a machine capability of, of running power. Um, but what they are effectively doing, it is, it is not like, you know, if you and I sat down and I might be better at calculus than you and we were given a calculus problem, I'm going to get to it, but I'm not going to have to do as much work because I know how to do calculus better than you. I don't presume that you might actually know how to do calculus better than me. you kick my ass at calculus? I don't even know about I've it. known you for 12 minutes now. Um, so. <laughs> but this is more like a game of guess and check. Okay. Okay. And think about it. The best analogy that I've ever heard to describe what the mining problem is and this and this kind of when people say complicated questions, it's not complicated. You just can't be better at it. You just have to guess and check, guess and check, guess and check. And it's by design. 
the best analogy that I've heard is like rolling dice. Okay. If I was to roll, if I was to, if you had two, I always screw this up, dice or die, whatever. Uh, if I was to give you two dice and I was to ask you to roll an, a collective number below seven. Right. It would take you about 10 or 11 times. But then if I was to ask you to roll snake eyes. Right. It would take you approximately, you might, there's a chance you might get it on the first one. Yeah. But on average, it's going to take you 33 times okay. to roll the dice. Yeah. The Bitcoin miners in these, quote, mining machines, they are guessing and checking. They're rolling the dice and saying, I'm trying to uh, get a probabilistic number um, that's below a certain what we call difficulty. So if it's like roll underneath seven, that's a lower difficulty than roll snake eyes. And as, as more security is added to the Bitcoin network, and as there are more miners, we don't get more Bitcoin. We just get greater security, and you have to roll the dice more to append history. And what that what that functionally means is as the Bitcoin network becomes more secure, we attract more energy. Uh, there's more miners. They're more distributed. They're in more geographic locations, and they're all competing. So when they're competing right now, every single mile in the world is competing for the next Bitcoin block. As soon as one solves it, they distribute it to the rest of the network, and everyone starts working on the next block to clear the next set of transactions and the next and the next. And the reason why it can't be gamed is because they're all working on the current set of Bitcoin transactions at any given time, and they're all competing with each other. And once one sees a valid proof, they they move on to like say it's block 100, they move on to block 101, which is a different set of transactions, and 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 so on. So. Let me see if I can dummy this down to see if I understand. We have hundreds, thousands. I mean, how many how many miners do you think are going right now in the world? Uh, like individual mining machines. I, I mean, the way or that just it, some way to well, some way to uh, it's it's about somewhere between fifteen and twenty gigawatts power. Okay, so we've got fifteen to twenty gigawatts power all throughout the world. Bunch of different computers running. They're all decentralized. Somebody, the Lightning Network, whoever says Chuck is sending to Parker one Bitcoin. That's the chain. Everybody's computer is going, is that a legitimate transaction? When did you know this hit first? Whatever the case may be. Then when people all say it's legitimate, they're throwing the dice. And whoever wins the dice game gets credit for putting that onto history, appending yeah. history. Correct. Like someone rolls, like everyone's rolling the dice. It's all probabilistic. They're all competing with each other. And so someone says, all right, th these are 3000 valid Bitcoin transactions. And I just rolled below snake eyes, send it out. And everyone else checks like, was that the difficult, was snake eyes the difficulty level? And what, what, is this a valid proof that it, that it's below that level? It's that or below. Um, if so, I go on to the next block and I just, I go keep rolling the dice. And that imagine, um, imagine the Bitcoin mining capacity increases by 2x. Think about it as it would be like if I asked you to roll below a 4 or if I asked you to roll below a 2. That it's basically, it gets twice as hard um, to actually find the proof, which means that you're going to have to consume twice as much energy in order to solve a valid proof. The reason why that is important is because it is this idea that the cost to validate whether a Bitcoin block 
is in fact valid is de minimis. The cost to produce a block to write new history is incredibly high. So this relationship by the cost to forge versus the cost to validate, someone can immediately know whether a Bitcoin block without with running a computer that's eight years old that might cost $100 on the used market can run the Bitcoin blockchain and say they can look at a miner that consumed you know, $20,000 of power in a day and say, nope, that that's invalid block. Uh, but that it's costly to write history for a reason that protects the Bitcoin network by ensuring only valid transactions get written. And then I, I also, but I use this equation to help people understand, like a, about a three to 400 megawatt Bitcoin mining site costs about a billion dollars and probably takes about 18 months, 18, 24 months to, to plan and build that. These Bitcoin miners are running the software. They're effectively rolling the dice, ag aggregating a set of valid transactions and then, and then basically guessing and checking uh, a random input to see like, does this achieve snake eyes or below? Um, and again, that might sound dumb, but it's, it's intentional to say that all miners are probabilistically competing with each other in order to solve a, a Bitcoin block. They had to produce X amount of energy. That's effectively what it's doing. Um, and that's what we call proof of work. But in that context of what the network is functionally doing is it's making it in incredibly costly to, to write new history, which actually protects by design the integrity of the network. And so in that world of if you were a miner and you're building a 300 and 400 megawatt site and it costs a billion dollars and it took you 24 months to build, you only get paid in Bitcoin. If, and so you have this massive incentive to only produce valid work because one, you, you had all this CapEx and in order to provide security to the Bitcoin network to only validate valid Bitcoin transactions, um, you get paid in one thing and one thing only, Bitcoin. Uh, so your, your, your incentives with the network are perfectly aligned. And if you were to say, issue yourself more Bitcoin that wasn't consistent with the 21 million supply cap, or you were going to validate Bitcoin transactions, say you were a Bitcoin miner and, and a Bitcoin miner sent you and I 10 Bitcoin at the same time, uh, trying to, you know, uh, send and validate invalid Bitcoin transactions, the rest of the network, because they're all competing at the same time, uh, it's like a game of Mexican standoff, basically. Right. Everybody's pointing the gun at each other and everyone's incentives are aligned because they only get paid to secure one thing, and that is the integrity of the Bitcoin network, which is principally there will only ever be 21 million and anyone sending a Bitcoin transaction can only send that nominal amount of Bitcoin once. So dumbing it down... For me, I won't say mom. Mom's actually really smart. Um, I'm smart. Th yeah. They're only going to be 21 million Bitcoin. We're going to have a ledger that shows who owned each Bitcoin when forever. Uh, a lot of transparency there. And the system that keeps that history, i.e. the mining, the integrity of the network and stuff, gets a Bitcoin of some sort paid in Bitcoin for solving that and in effect adding the computing power to run all that. Yes. Yeah, so th again, I always come back to what is substantively happening. The, the miners are validating current transactions and, and I think about it as processing them for final settlement, which is like, if, if you send a wire, the New York Fed has to, to validate that right. that is correct. And they set the processes. Uh, this is basically saying, I send you a Bitcoin. We can both know without needing to trust anybody that that is yours. There's no take backs. There's no like calling up you know, your bank and saying like reverse that transaction, this costliness 
is what ensures that that there are no there are no take backs in there. Um, and so, but when I when I kind of like play that out to um, let's say the individual minor incentives, it is the network is sent such that probabilistically a block gets solved every ten minutes. It's not like at noon there's going to be a Bitcoin block solved, and at twelve ten there's going to be a block solved, right. and at twelve twenty there's going to be a block solved. It's that probabilistically, like say there's a hundred miners and there's one out of 10 or one, one out of a hundred each has a, and this isn't how the Bitcoin network works obviously, but like if we were just using a, a mathematical theoretical example, hundred miners, each miner had um, one one hundredth um, that each block, they would have a 1% chance of solving. Okay. And then if there was a, uh, a, a doubling of the number of miners and they each had an equal number, then they would have a 0.5% chance of solving the next block. Um, what they are issued currently is um, is 6.25 Bitcoin per on average block, okay? Um, and again, that is for validating transactions. Um, every 210,000 blocks, which is approximately every four years, that number of 6.25 gets cut in half. And that doesn't happen because software code magically says so. It happens because the economic incentives of the system are aligned. And again, it happens because all these miners are playing Mexican standoff, pointing the gun at each other. And when we get to block 840,000, we're at like, let's see, the last happening was 630,000 blocks. Um, we're almost at May 3rd is going to be the halfway point to the next happening. Um, that would put us at like 735,000 thousand close to when we get to 840,000 every single miner without having to do anything is going to look and say for doing the same work I have to pay myself 3.125 bitcoin or everybody else in the network is going to reject my block as being invalid so I'm going to have built all this infrastructure out and consumed this marginal electricity cost and if I don't reduce my own reward by half at this particular block, then I get paid nothing and I expended those resources. And so every four years or every 210,000 blocks, that rate of issuance in nominal Bitcoin terms gets cut in half. So when the Bitcoin network launched, it was 50 Bitcoin per 10 minutes on average. Again, it's probabilistic, not on right. the hour. Then 210,000 blocks later, it dropped to 25. Then it dropped to tw uh, 12 and a half. Now it's at 6.125. And in about two years from now, that will drop to 3.125. And so what functionally happens is that real reward continues to go up as the Bitcoin network becomes more valuable while the nominal amount that needs to be paid for security uh, continues to go down. And that really drives all incentives and efficiencies in the network. Yeah, it's almost like at time zero, they said, we're going to have to pay people a lot because it's new to get them to actually do this. But as they do it, they'll get more efficient. They'll get better at it and we can pay them less and less in terms of a percent of Bitcoin. That being said, because there are only 21 million of them, they should continue to get more valuable over time. Right. And that, and that is what has happened empirically, but it also is fundamental to why Bitcoin is valuable. The more people that start to learn about what is money and what is Bitcoin, more people value it. It actually creates a more valuable network of a, 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 a money network for people to trade and transact. And then that attracts more security. 
So the actual underlying unit becomes more valuable as people build infrastructure, but also as it becomes more secure. And so, um, and if we look at the empirical kind of data, like when people, when the miners are being paid 6.25 Bitcoin every 10 minutes, the, the real value of that 6.25 Bitcoin is orders of magnitude more valuable than when miners were being paid 50 Bitcoin in 2010, right? Um, and that funding currency and the value of it which is what aligns economic incentives. But then what also happens when it goes from 6.5 to, or 6.25 to 3.125 in approximately two years, two things happen. It creates a supply shock for the overall network that basically it starts to communicate just how scarce Bitcoin is um, because the rate of inflation, right now the rate of inflation, there's about 19 million Bitcoin in circulation there's 2 million uh, Bitcoin left, but that will happen over the next 100 years. Um, and that the rate of inflation right now is about 1.73%. So when the next halvening happens, then the rate of inflation will be like below 1%. Um, so it creates this supply shock. People start to uh, feel in the market just how scarce Bitcoin is because fewer of them are coming onto the market. But it's also a culling of the herd of the miners that – it incentivizes like, okay, who is the most efficient? Who is the lowest cost producer? Because Bitcoin is Bitcoin and Bitcoin mine is, mining is ruthless. Its principal marginal cost is power. And who can go find the cheapest sources of power to be running this like th this computing process, which is which is like rolling the dice over and over again, trillions, quadrillion times. Uh, at the cheapest cost, who can do that most efficiently? And when Bitcoin halving happens, the the highest cost producers, the least efficient, can't produce profitably, and they go out of business. And when that happens, the strong miners actually get stronger. So let's drill into this. So you've moved it to from you've explained Bitcoin mining. Now we're into the business of Bitcoin mining. I'm going to say all this as a statement, but it's really a question for you to correct me or whatever. But when I've looked at Bitcoin mining, to grossly simplify, you have to go buy the miners. You got to buy the computing power. There's probably a little bit in the way of um, competitive advantage there in that the more miners you buy, the cheaper the price. If you're willing to take delivery in eight weeks instead of two weeks, you probably get a little bit better price. But at the end of the day, you're buying computers. And then when you look at your operating costs to run those computers, 90% is the cost of power. I mean, you need some Oh, in terms of the just the, oh, yeah. the business, the, the operating costs. So you need some people running around. Yeah, 90%. Hitting Control-Alt-Delete, and you need yeah. cooling. I mean, right? Those computers get really, really hot. You need to be able to cool. But at the end of the day, it's really cost of computers, and then cost of power. Do I have that right? Yeah. Like in thinking, we, you know, generally thinking about the, the cost of the computers is upfront CapEx. Yep. Um, now, the, there historically, there's been a lot of obsolescence, but the obsolescence is actually far less than I think people believe it to be, where people are still running mining machines that were, you know, probably fifth or sixth generations ago that profitably. Um, so th there is like, you know, effectively a, a decline curve of those assets, just like any asset would depreciate. Um, people used to think that it would be two years. It's probably more like, you know, 
well, um, the profitability of each unit would go down as more mining comes on. Um, that capex is an upfront cost, but then what you were just saying the, of the operating cost going forward, yeah, ninety percent is your marginal electricity costs. So, two thousand eleven, uh, oldest kiddo was un, unbeknownst to me and mom was mining Bitcoin on the Apple computer at home, and so the great story there literally mines nine bitcoin trades those nine bitcoin for a fake pair of yeezys out of china puts on the yeezys steps in a puddle they disintegrate so that that's our bitcoin investing adventure um but is the way to think do you about know about it, the bitcoin pizza yeah yeah <laughs> although i've heard i've heard that it truly wasn't a pizza it was bags of weed that that was the pizza place you called if you wanted weed and you ordered a certain type of pizza, any truth to that story? Is you know, that urban, I, no, I don't know. Legend? That might, I, I could be true. I don't, I don't know it to be true. Yeah. But what was it? It was 25 Bitcoins. I think, for, no, I think it was 50, like 25,000 Bitcoin. 25,000 yeah. Bitcoin for the first pizza. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Cause I think it was when Bitcoin was, you know, worth a couple cents. Yeah. You know. I tweeted out uh, probably about three months ago, prizes for a gaming tournament. First prize was 500, second prize was 250. They get down to like eight, nine, and 10, and they were 25 Bitcoins. Yeah, I could the, be wrong by the Ormacu. Maybe it was like 2,500, but yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was a lot of Bitcoin. So so the, so the way to think about what you were saying, the evolution of the computing power is just basically able to throw the dice faster. Is that an oversimplification? Uh, well, yeah. like the, Verify the, the transaction. The, the machines get better and better in terms of being able to run that operation faster but then also being more efficient in how it consumes power. Yeah. That for each roll of the dice on marginal unit consuming less power, such that if you were at a one megawatt, if you had one megawatts of capacity, you had miners that you could actually do more dice rolling operations with the same unit of power. So um, speed and also which ultimate capacity and then also the efficiency and how much each unit consumes of power. Um, cause that will drive profitability, but that also drives the marginal cost down. So that's, that's not historically you ran it on your Apple computer home, whatever. Now the machines are designed solely to be mining. Is that? Yeah. Like yeah. originally when Bitcoin was launched, it was, it was, um, mined on CPUs or, uh, you know, general computing equipment, um, I'm not somebody that can go into a lot of detail, but, but the way to think about it basically evolved from CPUs to um, FGPAs to ASICs. And, and, and all that was driven by was um, think about the efficiency of an individual chip. It was like each one of those was doing the exact same thing. But if you have a general purpose computer and it's a CPU and it's designed to run 100 different programs, it's going to run the Bitcoin program a lot less efficiently than a chip that is dedicated specifically to Bitcoin. So ASICs are not specific to Bitcoin, but um, what ASICs are are chips that are highly efficient at doing a single operation. And so as Bitcoin became more valuable, and as we were thinking, or not we, but as as people logically just acting, reacting to economic incentives, um, it was naturally from a capital efficiency perspective to make higher power computers that could run the Bitcoin network um, and run the Bitcoin um, protocol far more efficiently to ultimately be able to get more security out of less units of power. 
And that's pretty typical, I think, with a lot of computing yeah. power in a lot of industries. You get more specific. So ultimately, and those are commodities. You and I can go buy them now. Granted, we may have a tougher time buying them versus some large miner that has a relationship. Yeah. But outside of that, that's a commodity. So ultimately, Bitcoin mining today comes down to that 90%. What is the cost of power in your... Hang on one second. I have something in my eye that is... I'm gonna run to the restroom real quick. Break. Yeah. Jacob, this is the timeout. I have something in my eye. Gosh, and I was fighting it off for about 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So where I was gonna go is just since it's all about power, you know. Anyway, we'll we'll go from there. So okay. all right, I'm back, Jacob. Um okay, so we're really focused now, I guess, on the business of mining with the 90% of your op costs that's power. As I understand, we had, you know, early days, a lot of miners in China, just because they have the cheapest electricity out there through coal and hydro and the various things they do. And the Chinese government banned mining, what, two years ago? Or they've done it multiple times, I think. But the last one was, what, two years ago? Um, probably so, about 10 months ago, 10 months ago. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so I would say a lot of the mining was in China, uh, you know, not that they have the cheapest power in the world, but that they've got government subsidies and, uh, but that also they've got a lot of infrastructure to manufacture chips so that it was really driven by, yeah. And still to this day, the largest manufacturers of Bitcoin ASIC chips and rigs are it from that area of the world. Um, so a lot of, a lot of those, like one of the large companies called Bitmain and Bitmain actually had, uh, sister companies that were miners themselves. So they would sell rigs, but then they would set up and run the rigs themselves too. Um, now as Bitcoin scales, everything is being decentralized. Intel's working on a chip, um, or a rig chip, um, square, or now it's called block, but Jack Dorsey's company also working on that. So I believe Samsung might be working on one as well. I'm not 100% sure on that, but that, anyways, geographically, that is distributing as well. But to the point about historically, yes, a lot of the hash rate was in China. Everyone used to, you know, everyone that doesn't want Bitcoin to be true always has something that they crow at. And there used to be this idea that China is controlling Bitcoin because 80% of the hash rate was in China. Um, and then, about 10 months ago, um, they formally banned Bitcoin mining. Now, it's unclear. I mean, it's I've seen certain estimates that 10 to 20% of, the, of the, the mining capacity that was in China is still in China. No one actually knows. Um, but what essentially happened was that the amount of energy securing the Bitcoin network over last summer, the summer of 2021, dropped by 50%. Um, so I'm going to throw out just an, a number that, you don't need to know what an exahash is, uh, but a hash, it, well, a hash is basically that rolling the dice. That's what in Bitcoin terms, that's what we, it's like the number of hashes because you're actually running a crypto, the rolling of the dice is actually a cryptographic hash function. But we that we then refer to the the overall Bitcoin um, computer, computing capacity as hash rate. Um, when before China, China banned uh, Bitcoin mining, the hash rate was 180, I believe 180 exahashes, which is like probably like a quadrillion hashes or some crazy number. Um, but 180 exahashes, basically in total, the Bitcoin network dropped to 
approximately 90 exahashes over the course of last summer. Um, roughly, again, I don't know this to be, somebody else would, would be a better pro at this, but I've benchmarked, you know, in orders of magnitude, 18 exahashes being approximately 18 gigawatts power, nine, approximately nine, it might be 15 and seven, but, sure. but just kind of giving some perspective on that. Uh, well, today we're back at 220 exahashes. So basically China shut down a lot of their miners. They came offline and now there's been the great checks it of 2021, 2022 of mining capacity being distributed all over the world. So while people used to say um, China, you know, China controls Bitcoin because all this Bitcoin mining is there, it's like now, now they no longer have that excuse. And a lot of that hash rate, um, a lot of that mining capacity is now coming to Texas. Uh, it's going all over the world, but but the single greatest concentration of not just where that hash rate is moving to, uh, but of where new capacity would have naturally formed anyways as the energy industry figures out Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin uh, is right here in Texas. Yeah, because I had Marty Ben on the podcast, call it 15 months ago, and I would go out and talk to my former private equity brethren in energy and say, oh, man, Bitcoin, you need to study it. And they'd say, yeah, what are you talking about? Fantasy land. And then call it, I don't know, nine months ago, it was like, well, we might do that if we had some flared gas to three months ago, one of the private equity firms and various other investors have had me and Colin into the office and said, tell us about Bitcoin mining, because I think what energy folks missed is, particularly an oil and gas person, one of your core competencies is securing cheap power. Every well in America runs off power, whether you got a pump, whatever the case may be, you need power. So you're out securing cheap power, whether that's generating it off natural gas, off your own lease, if it's tapping into the local municipality, et cetera. And that is the core competency of mining. I mean, I don't mean to dismiss the being able to keep keep miners running, being able to uh, create you know the appropriate cooling mechanism for the computers, et cetera. But at the end of the day, and so I always sat there and said, "Yeah, guys, you should do this. That should be your business, or at least be educated enough on it to say I'm not going to do it." And here's why. I agree with that. Now, I would say that. In terms of the Bitcoin mining operation itself, like it is a data center or it is a container and it's got computers running and the complex part of that is more so the procurement of low cost power uh, than it is actually running those machines. Um, now, if you went back a layer that like producing the actual ASIC might be sure. harder, but but in terms of the operation itself, which right. is not producing the ASIC, it is running a site, um, that the procurement of low-cost energy and power and um, and doing that at a scale to be profitable or to be able to replicate, I think, is the more complex thing. And I think about it as, two, as probably two bifurcated in, in two ways. One, being able to identify and produce cheap power, but then also understanding maps where there are natural resources where you might rethink a site um, for Bitcoin mining than you would otherwise think about a site with conventional markets where you could say, okay, that well might not have been profitable to get 
whatever resources are there to market. So, and you understand this business a lot better than I do, but it might cap a well or might, you know, might be unfinished wells um, that you might say, well, hey, is there a way that I can monetize that with Bitcoin mining? Uh, is there a way to extract that resource, convert it to power right on site? And so, that, so I, I view those as, as two competencies, both of which are housed within um, the energy industry, different parts of it probably. Um, but that knowing, hey, I couldn't monetize that asset in conventional markets, but now, and I think about this, and this is a little bit of an abstract idea, but Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining creates an entirely new energy market that that had never existed before. If I think about the conventional markets, there's end demand for energy, um, and it's like if I create a new um, a new type of car, right? Like a car versus a house consuming electricity it's it's very similar uh to each other but the bitcoin network is actually a form of money um and bitcoin is a form of money and that's hard for people to understand i often say that the hardest thing to understand about bitcoin is understanding what money is and if you want to understand bitcoin you have to go down a rabbit hole what is money why is the dollar valuable but securing a monetary network and providing the power to secure a monetary network is fundamentally different than extracting natural resources, refining it to some higher order to uh, some end productive or consumption good, like running a car or building a home. Um, and what I mean by that is the Bitcoin network now provides an incentive to develop natural resources and uh, convert that into energy and the ability to export that energy to the rest of the world, the Bitcoin network, uh, with just a communication channel and not a pipeline or a transmission line, um, you can do that too. Uh, and you can do that in the Bitcoin world, but there is a way to go out to the actual field, put up data centers or put up containers that run the Bitcoin networks, generate power right there on site. Um, and that will cause people to rethink and relook at all of their assets um, because there is a, a better way or another way that might be a better way to, to monetize their energy resources. Because I had this discussion at breakfast yesterday for as entrepreneurial as I think oil and gas folks are. I mean, it takes pretty big balls, right, to go out and spend $10 million and then turn it on and see what you got, right? And I mean, that's by definition an entrepreneur, an optimist. We're actually shockingly rigid in our focus as oil and gas people. We only sit there and say what you just said. We extract hydrocarbons. And you look at it and you go, you know, we have lithium in our wastewater. Why aren't we mining that out? Lithium's pretty expensive these days, you know. And taking the mindset of an oil and gas person and saying, hey, or, you know, geothermal, the same way. There's a play up in uh, northern Louisiana where the water comes out of the ground at 310 degrees and hot and they spent time trying to cool the water to figure it out. And that's what killed the play. Why didn't somebody go, hey, you know, geothermal could make money here. And so I think part of Bitcoin mining and energy business and what I feel like has been a semi-slow adoption, but probably in fairness has been pretty rapid in the grand scheme of things, is from entrepreneurs being so dogmatic about we extract resources as opposed to what do we have and how do we monetize it? And I think you're starting to see that. So let's talk Texas specifically, because I have the belief too that 
twofold. Texas is going to be the the capital of Bitcoin mining as well as it should be because I think this is a good business uh, for folks to have. Um, so I'll throw a few things out and then you throw a few things out. One, I think the regulatory environment's good here. Knock on wood. Politicians seem okay with it. Uh, two, we have a lot of those natural resources that you're talking about. Obviously, the Permian Basin is resource rich as it comes. So those are two things we got going for us. Yeah. So I, I would say, for, so I agree with that. And then I would kind of provide some context so on the regulatory side. Yep. Um, Governor Abbott, um, both Governor Abbott and ERCOT have sent signals that they are engaged, they are supportive, they, they want to understand it better, but energy is core to Texas's economy and our regulatory structure is friendly and supportive of energy development. And at a fundamental level, Bitcoin does has has significant positive externalities to the overall uh, energy dynamics and, and and specifically related to the grid. But if I think about it- Give me it, an example of that. Um, and, and I'll, Bitco I'll go Bit ahead. Bitcoin mining is uh, 24 seven. So um, it is essentially incremental baseload. Uh, and because- like when I talk about Bitcoin being a fundamentally new and differentiated and distinct source of energy demand, the Bitcoin, like you can think about Bitcoin, individual Bitcoin miners as sources of, of energy demand, but it's really the Bitcoin network is one aggregated source of demand such that one miner can turn down at any point in time without disrupting the operation of Bitcoin. And that is not true if you have a plant that is developing um, semiconductors, that if it's 110 degrees out in Dallas, Texas, that semiconductor plant, if it had to shut down for five hours, might cost $200 million of economic activity. Bitcoin miners can literally shut down for an hour and turn back up and be doing the exact same operation. And the Bitcoin network itself, while that happens, runs perfectly. So the idea that it's 24-hour, 24-7 demand, it's predictable. And it's uh, probably more flexible than any source of energy demand that exists. And while I'm not uh, a power producer, that a lot of the stuff, the work that I've been doing here in the Houston community uh, and helping run the Houston Bitcoin meetup and meeting with power, uh, power brokers and people that help identify sites, that that provides a significant benefit to being able to balance not only market dynamics, but stability dynamics. When you have, you could have a gigawatt of power demand that could go offline at a particular, or say, take 250 megawatts off now, uh, or if this condition happens. Um, and Bitcoin miners, given the very nature, are able to do that because there's a profit incentive to do it. And the network as a whole is not disrupted. Does that make well, sense? It, it makes perfect sense because I don't think people realize with electricity that basically you have to build enough generation for that one hour period in late July, early August, when all the air conditionings in the state are running, because there really is no storage. I know people talk about storage. There's no, there's no, I think if you use all the storage in the United States, you could run the grid, the entire grid of, of uh, the United States for like a millisecond. You know, I mean, there is no storage. So you have to have enough generating capacity to be able to meet that really high 
demand. And I think the on the ERCOT system, which is about 90% of Texas, I think the, the highest demand ever was 75 gigawatts, and that was August of 2019. So you have to have generation for all that. But why do you build generation for one hour? Because that wouldn't be profitable. But to the extent you have a baseline load, and with Bitcoin miners, you can kick them off. When shit's hitting the fan and, and the hospitals need their power, you know, to keep running, you can tell the Bitcoin miners, guys, great, we're going to shut you off for a couple hours. Yeah, and my, my understanding is that that's a lot of work that um, Bitcoin miners are proactively working on with ERCOT to be able to structure contracts in such a way that allows these loads to 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 actually um, not only align their incentives because if power costs are spiking, it's probably more powerful for them or more profitable for them to shut down and not mine anyways. Yeah. But then to have that contractually obligated allows for people to model out things a lot more predictably. And so there is this there is this benefit, but if we start kind of from your point, which is there is a, a natural inclination to be friendly towards this idea of energy development is generally good and uh, human beings producing and consuming more power, good thing. Uh, and that's not the case in, in other places in the world. You know, we look at China banning Bitcoin mining. We look at the New York State Assembly has... Um, Put a or they've voted to pass a two-year moratorium on proof-of-work mining. Uh, that does not mean it's a bill in New York, but it needs to go to the Senate. It would need to be approved. That there are a lot of uh, bleeding hearts that don't understand the complexity of energy and power and take it for granted and are you know screwing with all of our lives. But that when you think about a 300, 400 megawatt site, or you think about like a 10 megawatt off-grid site, right? A 10 megawatt off-grid site probably costs about has about 30, 25 to $30 million of CapEx, a 300, 400 megawatt Bitcoin mining site would have a CapEx of around a billion dollars. These are long-term infrastructure plays and businesses. And if you're thinking about placing that much capital investment and you're like, oh, you know, these, these crazy people in New York might ban my operation and I'm going to have to go somewhere else or these people in China just did, that the regulatory clarity and the friendly regulatory environment here in the state of Texas, combined with what you mentioned, uh, the, the actual quantity of natural resources, in fact, those quantity of natural resources with the regulatory certain to be able to, to invest significant amounts of capital, that is what leads to cheap cost power. And the other thing- cheapest, I, The cheapest source of power. Another say. thing I think is going to be really important, because I've tried to go through the checklist, is just step back, old school economics 101, in my mind, as a business, mining, what I worry about is low barriers to entry, funds flow in, compress margins. That's just kind of life, right? You know, to the extent you're the higher cost producer. But but something happens critically that as too many people rush in and certain people become unprofitable and then the mining hash rate comes down, you actually get paid more nominal Bitcoin. Yeah. If you were on the lower cost. So there's 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 like a natural balancing Bitcoin's ability to eliminate imbalance. It's like you see, like over time you see, you know, kind of fluctuations of price of Bitcoin that will become less and less because the herd is called constantly yeah, every in day. the world of, of Bitcoin mining. Yeah. But, and and so so the funds flow coming in though, just ah, we can go Bitcoin mine and our cost of electricity is six cents. Well, you know, six months from now, that may get you kicked off, right? Right. 
Um, but everyone's like, this is the other idea. So, and I know in more developed industries, they'll, they'll have cost curves where they'll show like, okay, you know, over here, this is the cost to produce a barrel of oil here, you know, yeah. kind of that builds up. And so they kind of have this expectation and people don't necessarily know like the marginal cost versus all in cost, but that people have a better conception of that. In Bitcoin, there's always an economic incentive to sell electricity to the Bitcoin network uh, for those on the cheapest end. And so everyone, it doesn't matter who they are in the world, they are constantly trying to reduce their cost of power. And if and if you are on the lowest cost, if you look at it and say, hey, I can get at two cents. And like I know that the 90th percentile, no, you know, anywhere below that can't, I will always have a profitable economic incentive to do this operation. Now, I'm using two cents as just an example, but right. where it falls in the spectrum. Yeah. And and you know, kind of to that point, I think another thing that makes Texas attractive is we have tons of natural gas. Um, we that also, is a critical one. We have tons of wind. We have tons of room for solar, and solar is growing every day. And there are going to be the way I look at wind and solar, the renewables is in effect you front load your costs, but the actual operating costs. I mean, when you have a wind turbine out there or a solar panel out there, doesn't cost a lot to generate any given day that electricity. You had to pay for it in the front end, installing it, et cetera. So I think having, in addition to the natural resources, having a lot of wind, a lot of solar is also what makes Texas attractive because you're going to have a blend of energy sources there. Yeah. So I think the the absolute quantity um, of resources is kind of a critical piece, but then like the diversity of those sources. Again, I'm not a energy professional, but as I know enough to be dangerous, um, one of one of my good friends talks about this dynamic of uh, West Texas is the one place where the wind belt and the sun belt uh, overlap and the dynamic between wind and, and solar of when it's actually, when the wind's actually blowing versus when the sun's out, um, the correlation between those and and the idea of one of the challenges, at least I understand, you might, you probably understand this dynamic more, but I can relate it to Bitcoin mining is um, one of the big problems with so-called renewables and really with the, the thing that makes quote renewables very difficult to sustain economically is uh, without government subsidies is uh, in th- th- their their supply is intermittent and there's also intermittent demand. You can't predict when you know when, 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 when it's when it when it's hottest in Texas. Yeah. You know the wind might not be blowing, so right. when you need that power, it might not be there. Um, and that the the, com- the the complex problem of intermittent supply of renewables versus intermittent demand of of energy consumption creates a can create imbalances and if you know, you get into situations where you have a bunch of power when you don't need it, that can actually cause uh, challenges in terms of uh, the market dynamics or or potentially grid dynamics. And in Bitcoin's case, it can help solve that problem because it is this predictable demand and and you can go put it out at the site, right? You, right. Can, you can be there, you can be behind the meter, you could be basically offloading it when when the Bitcoin miner, you know, it could, it could take power 24-7 or when there's market demand on the grid, it can put it onto the grid. So um, I do think that the diversity, particularly though the, the natural gas, that that pure kind of predictable baseload or, or feedstock um, for right. that is critical. Another one I would put out is um, I've got eight kind of key factors. And I actually, there's an article in the latest NAPE where we talk about this, 
just trying to remember the, the various different points, but it's size of natural resources, diversity of natural resources, uh, private ownership of those natural resources yeah. is a key component. And I think it's something we don't like, have federal lands yeah, that are natural which resources is a, on, which is huge. Yeah. God knows what they'll do in DC. Yeah. And that the putting the entrepreneurs in the direct position of being able to take their natural resources and monetize them how they would like, um, and having that economic incentive aligned is, is, is obviously a significant driver of both competition and innovation. Um, so, so that way, and then that would be different. Um, and I love the state of Wyoming as an example, but most people don't know this, like I think 50 to 60% of Wyoming is, is federally owned. That doesn't mean that there aren't leases to be able to extract resources, but it creates more red tape. Yeah. Um, another one is the, the fact that ERCOT is Texas's grid is a massive one. I would say, um, that it allows the state to be in greater control and to have not only have less federal red tape, but to be able to look at a problem, look at this thing, Bitcoin mining and, and the dynamic of it. And, and not, not when I say problem, Bitcoin mining isn't a problem, but this, this, the, this is this new source of energy demand. What are the dynamics of it? What are the characteristics? How do we leverage that to advance? A lot of people talk about how Bitcoin can help stabilize a grid and, and a few of my, um, you know, kind of people who become good friends of mine in, in the power business have talked about it. It's not just that Bitcoin mining can help stabilize the grid. It's that it can help uh, stabilize and advance it, that it will, it will kind of impact how we, how we think about constructing the grids. So, but ERCOT being independent of East, West United right. States um, will allow for both innovation and the people making decisions closer to the, the actual source of the underlying operators, that, that that dynamic does not exist in any other state. And when you pair the regulatory environment in the state of Texas with the rule of law in the United States, as a, as a regulatory jurisdiction, when you add in the natural resources are here and you think about these large, long-term, massive capital-intensive projects, it's like all each one of these individual things gets compounded on the next and it makes any other jurisdiction um when they add up all the different layers because they they are um compounding in nature it it doesn't mean that there won't be bitcoin mining in other places there will be they they just won't be able to scale like texas can or they they won't be able to scale until they are able to reproduce uh, a structure of the energy markets. The deregulated energy market is another one that allows contracts between producers and, and consumers, those consumers being Bitcoin miners, to be structured based on the nature of the energy demand. That's that's another one. Um, but there are there I think there are others that are just the culture of the, uh, the citizens in the state of Texas. A lot of wildcatting mentality. You talked about going and drilling a $10 million well and whether there's oil there or not, like going out and being on the front end of Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining um, takes a certain kind of breed and and having that risk taking, but having all of the incentives aligned to say, if I take this risk and I'm doing it in an educated way based on power dynamics, energy costs, where natural resources are, that I'm actually going to reap the reward of that. And somebody's not going to come on my door, you know, in a year or two years or three years and tell me to shut down my operations right. because- uh, that's finite time that has been contributed to it and a significant amount of physical capital. 
One of the things about the culture that I think is a very subtle point, but it's unappreciated, is we love our small towns in Texas, and Bitcoin mining means really good jobs in small towns. I mean, if you've got a natural gas field right outside a small town, go generate power, Bitcoin mine, you, you're paying people $75,000, $100,000, $150,000 to work in your operation. And there aren't jobs available like that for small towns. And people love their small towns. Yeah. Um, so Riot is a Bitcoin miner here in the state of Texas. Um, believe they might have some smaller operations elsewhere, but their primary facility is in Rockdale, Texas. And that's exactly, you know, it's, it is the uh, to the T case study where I believe uh, Rockdale's in Milam County. I believe there's probably, um, there's somewhere between 2,500 and 5,000 jobs, somewhere around that order of magnitude in, in that county or in, in Rockdale, one of the two. Riot site there, that's a 700 megawatt site, um, I think they have 250 to 300 full-time employees, but they've got, when you add in full-time contractors, 700 people for a county that size. Not only what it does to tax revenue, uh, but what it does to jobs, because those jobs, those, those 300 full-time jobs, employees, 400 full-time contractors, the economic impact of that, of those people being paid and then the services that they need in that area is significant. And that riot facility that's out in Rockdale was an, there was all this energy infrastructure, power infrastructure, and it was an old, I believe, Alcoa, Alcoa plant right. um, that that wasn't being utilized, or when I say plant, infrastructure. Right. Um, and so when you think about that, it was like that town, when that when Alcoa shut down, I think it was an aluminum factory, I'm not 100% sure. And when that shut down, that like that's devastating to a community of that size. And now the Bitcoin mines are the ones that are coming and turning it back on. And contributing the economic value, and Riot just announced that, uh, another a gigawatt site in Corsicana, Texas, in Navarro County. Um, so I think that's a great point. We do love our small towns in Texas, um, and that with Bitcoin mining, the nature, given the nature of the demand of Bitcoin and its and its energy consumption, and that is twenty four seven, and it's this one aggregate source of demand. The Bitcoin network is paying for security. Um, that you can take the source of those operations um, and you can put them where it is most optimal based on the dynamics of natural resources and power generation. And a lot of those happen to be in more rural areas than in um, big population centers. No, that's, uh, that's exactly right. The, um, I think you know, one other thing, just kind of as a side note, is the fact that Texas is pretty big, but it's it's blocky as we think through generation, where the consumers are, transmission. That's a more complicated puzzle than people realize because you've got wind and solar out in West, West Texas, but none of the people are out there. They're in Dallas, they're in Houston, they're in Austin, San Antonio. And so building the transmission is pretty expensive and it's chicken and egg, right? Well, are we going to build big transmission lines? Why don't you go build the wind and the solar first? Well, we'll build the wind and the solar out in West Texas as soon as you get me some transmission lines so I can get over there. And I do think Bitcoin mining helps bridge that because we can go first. 
that's the egg, right? If you will, we can go and build because I think there's 35 gigawatts of power out in West Texas, and there's really only about 12 gigawatts of transmission to get it to where the folks are. And so to the extent we build more generation out there, it's a lot easier to go build those transmission lines to get in. And that's another yeah, thing. Yeah, and it can it can serve as, you know, kind of in a in an intermittent way like that. Again, I, I don't like using I think this is a as an imperfect analogy, but like you talked about the, the battery, we don't really have storages. The Bitcoin isn't really a battery in the sense that like it's storing power, but that it can absorb demand and and then shut down and offload it to other places that need it more critically at any point in time so it can effectively operate like a, a battery does um but then also if you think about projects being like okay i can go i've got a solar farm i can build a bitcoin mine up there and, and bitcoin mining um the, the the manufacturing operation is highly uh, fungible like set up a mine harvest it if trans if there's a if there's transmission lines that can be built out to send it off, it can be kind of turning up and down, uh, or you could move to another site. So it can it can basically help create in those places where there are mismatches um, to to absorb demand and monetize assets in way that then allow people to develop a you know a functional network maybe of transmission lines over time rather than right then. Because I think I've told Bitcoin miners this, that I, I'm not saying this is the base case, and I want to get your take on the probability of this. I'm not saying it's the base case, but I do think we have to be prepared for a world where you can only Bitcoin mine off renewables. I mean, I, it would not shock me if we're sitting here in five years and something happened in Congress or whatever that that's the rule. I'm not saying I want that to happen. I'm not rooting for it, but I think you need to be prepared for that. So, I mean, having a bunch of mining out in West Texas where you've got renewables, you've got wind, even if that's not your primary source, even if you're running off natural gas, but just having access to that, I think that's important because you've got to think about mining as a business in kind of at least sort of five-year blocks, right? Because that's how you know your, your miners run four to five years. So you need to be thinking about how do I put those in one spot and allow them to run with the cheapest power for four to five years? Yeah, I think that, so I'll, I'll just, I'll give you my kind of fresh eyes on the energy industry, which I'm not an energy expert, but kind of coming in, I've started to familiarize myself with this concept called ESG. Okay. <laughs> Wasn't very familiar with it before. Right. But from what I- We're kind I, of in the same spot in the energy business, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, but from my vantage point, and not, not, a, not a, you know, in time, not a, a ton of history, but it feels like Wall Street basically made the energy industry capitulate to uh, bending it to its will of being like renewable, 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 like we're green, we're green, we're green. And for a while, it seemed like just based on kind of what I've gathered is people were like, no, but you don't understand. Like, that's not how power works. And this can be bad long term. And then they said, well, if you want money, do it our way. And, and that there was kind of, you know, a fighting of it, a resistance of it, and then kind of like a capitulation where they're like, fine, we need your money. Um, and that Bitcoin, it's like there's, there used to be the saying about the golden rule that's he who has the gold makes the rule. Um, Wall Street has the money and BlackRock 
dictates right you know who gets the capital well that day's ending uh and bitcoin is the new money and he who has the bitcoin is going to make the rules and i think about it there, there's a saying in bitcoin and i believe it to be true um because i in, in actual experience of, of the type of people that are drawn into the Bitcoin vortex and that as people start to see Bitcoin as money and start to see um, how important it is for us to have a form of money that can't be printed by a government or a central bank, um, that they start to, to appreciate how screwed up it is that there is this world where people in largely in New York get to print money and then get to dictate our energy policy, even if it is asked backwards potentially uh, from a stability uh, and economic activity perspective, but that it is Bitcoin changes you more than you can change Bitcoin. And that the whole idea of why Bitcoin is valuable when I talk about it is designed to be a form of money that, can, that has a fixed supply of 21 million. You cannot change that. Doesn't matter what you want to do. You can wiggle around your straight jacket. You can be like, I'm an inflationist and I think it's better for people to print money. Rational economic actors know if I'm going to go produce uh, a barrel of oil or a unit of power, I want to be paid in a form of money that can't be printed, that that aligns all of our economic incentives. And so as people start to understand Bitcoin and start to understand money can't be willy-nilly printed, I can't just pass along tax credits to subsidize this activity or that activity that they will say, yeah, I, I like solar, I like wind, but I only want to produce it if it can compete to produce the cheapest cost power reliably and sustainably. And I think that Bitcoin and, and a mass movement of people understanding the importance of, of having money that can't be printed, they will start to see the negative incentives of how the world used to be. And they will come around to this idea where they'll say, yeah, Great, let's incentivize renewables, but we're not going to do it at the cost of uh, energy security and stability. And that you know there will be Bitcoin mining on natural gas feedstock and solar and, and, and wind. But I don't I don't think that uh, like when I think about the world of Bitcoin, we're basically saying like, hey, you people in New York and D.C., you've screwed up our money. Uh, we're taking that power back. That that dynamic is actually greater than this this movement of of renewables and it's like if we can win that battle we're going to we're going to shift a lot of the way that people think about energy and that it's not going to be a world where they that the market the the market force will say we're not going to be in a world where it's 100% renewables you know or you know you have to have 80% clean it's like no we're going to say we love natural gas we love oil um please deliver us power at the cheapest cost and uh, yeah, we'll have some protections in place to make sure that you're not dumping, you know, waste into our drinking water. But there's a big difference between that and dictating energy policy from, you know, D.C. and New York. Bitcoin takes down Greta. I like it. Yeah, Bitcoin go. will take down Greta. I do like that. I do like that. You know, it's really interesting because we talk about Bitcoin and we had the conference, you know, uh, the Empower Conference. That was phenomenal, by the way. Oh, thanks. No, it was, a, it was, it was a lot of fun. The, but you know, the, the convergence of Bitcoin mining, the energy business. So we get a lot of inbounds and I'm telling you people from Prague, Czechoslovakia showed up at Empower. Cause they're like, tell me about Texas. Should I move my mining operations here? I got a DM one time on Twitter. Somebody was like, tell me about Monahans, Texas. I like maybe put the mines there. I think you want the corporate headquarters in Austin or Houston. But uh, 
I know I've been seeing a big wave of that um, myself. There are probably some overlap of people, but of people that have historically both mined in other places and been geographically located in terms of operations, corporate, as well as mining operations, Europe, China, other places. Uh, and they're all at once finding this signal. And it's not just they're coming to the United States, it's they're coming to Texas. And it's for, it's for those layered reasons. But there is this also dynamic. It's like Texas is the place where it will be the epicenter of Bitcoin. Bitcoin's going to be everywhere. But in terms of the 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 really the next wave and in, in the the rev, the revolution that takes us from where Bitcoin is this volatile thing that think people think is a stock or a financial asset to the form the, the the monetary standard the form of money like my vision of this is that probably plays out in the next ten years where we shift over to a full Bitcoin standard and Bitcoin becomes the primary funding currency for all commercial transactions in the world like day to day going buying groceries gas like natural gas is going to like the market's going to be natural gas for Bitcoin oil for Bitcoin, um, that it will be, it will be the predominant currency in the world. It will be perfectly stable. We won't think about it like a stock or bond, but that that revolution will be led in Texas for two reasons, all those same reasons, but Austin's a tech center and it's the only relatively sane tech center in the United <laughs> States, uh, that benefits from a lot of those same dynamics about the state of Texas and so when you have Austin forming as the, the technological uh, infrastructure from a, from a protocol development perspective, again, Bitcoin protocol development is decentralized network. There's, there's developers all over the world working on Bitcoin. Austin is emerging as, as the hub, though, of where there's probably the greatest concentration. And then here in Houston is the mining, and it will only continue to be that case. Last night at the Houston Bitcoin meetups, meeting guys were like, I run an oil and gas business. I'm going to be the biggest miner in the Gulf Coast. You know, like when, and, and, and just seeing it at Empower, I thought the greatest thing about Empower was it was an energy conference about Bitcoin and mining. It wasn't a Bitcoin conference. It wasn't a mining conference. And the mix of the people that you guys got there was probably 70 to 80% uh, traditional energy, oil and gas power people, and 20 to 30% Bitcoin Bitcoin mining. And in that world, there's a lot of knowledge transfer that happens, but there's a lot of connecting the dots of people that have different capabilities that can bridge certain gaps to be able to really move the ball, the ball forward and uh, have step function changes, not just in the efficiency of Bitcoin mining, but in the scale. And so kind of there, but there is this dynamic too, where Austin and like Austin and Houston are going to be these, you know, kind of sister cities that are really on the front lines uh, for different reasons of um, of pushing Bitcoin forward. And the state of Texas, as a result of that, becomes a very Im important venue uh, in, in the grand scheme of, of Bitcoin's next wave of going from nascent and volatile to the, the global monetary standard. Because the line that I feel like changed my discussion with oil and gas folks in terms of, hey, you know, they'd say, you're crazy. You're preaching this weird religion of Bitcoin. My line back has always been, you have natural gas, right? You run every BTU you have to a natural gas processing plant because on any given day, you're making a decision. Do I strip out the li liquids? Do I sell the propane separately, the ethane separately, et cetera? And they all say, well, yeah, I'm just getting the highest price for my commodity. And I go, 
all right, why aren't you running that same BTU through a generator and seeing how many Bitcoin you can get for it and sell the Bitcoin and the lights go off and you see the chart and you see that at 40 or $45,000 per Bitcoin, depending on the price of natural gas, you're, you're selling your Bitcoins for, I mean, you're selling your natural gas for $25 per MCF, $30 per MCF. And it all just comes down to, well, what's that payback on the actual computers, the miners I bought? Yeah. And I think that when people do that, because I've heard the, I've heard stories of people kind of having that light bulb turn on where they're like, you know, natural gas is $5. And I, my jargon is always screwed up, but like $5 an M or whatever your standard unit of account is natural gas. Uh, and that like, when I run these Bitcoin miners, it's 24, 25. Now, and, and whatever that dynamic is, it like it gets people's attention. They start doing the math again. And they're like, hey, is this right? Um, but what what I oftentimes see is they'll say like, I can, and they'll be thinking about it. like, I can make $25. I get that Bitcoin and I can convert it to dollars, right? But then what happens over time is like people start to think about when they get into Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, they think about Bitcoin as an, an investment. Naturally, it's speculative. But what it really is and what I tell people is it is a better form of money and it's a better form of money because it has a fixed supply cap. This mining thing that you're doing is actually securing that. And that when you actually get that unit, if you are converting it back into dollars, it's like, no, the Bitcoin is the money. You are, you are readily transferring something that is finitely scarce for something that the government prints ad infinitum or, or the central right. bank, which they're, they're technically different, but they're functionally the same. Right. Um, and so that what that is what this is really about, and this is why that's why the energy dynamic in, in Texas is going to be so important. It's like you know how hard it is to produce what you produce. You know the complexity of it. You know the physical capital required. You know the human capital required, and you know that each one of those dynamics is very challenging and requires time uh, to get a barrel of oil out of the ground, to get um, natural gas out of the ground, to harvest that natural gas in a way that is actually productive. Um, and then you're going to convert it into dollars and they've printed nearly $5 trillion, $5 trillion in the last two years since the COVID lockdown, um, nine trillion, eight to nine trillion since the financial crisis. You, you guys cannot like, not you, but like the power and in, power industry, the energy industry, they have to understand, okay, obviously you know how valuable it is what you do but you're turning around and selling that for things that they literally click a button in New York and magically create $4 trillion. And then every unit that you produce gets to purchase less and less over time. And Bitcoin fixes that. It basically says, yeah, that work is hard and it's incredibly valuable to the rest of society. And you get to convert that work into a form of money that is finite, that nobody else can print more of. And that as the energy industry figures that out, they will say, okay, rather than it being, you know, I could get $5 an M to $25 an M, they're going to be like, I get this nominal unit of Bitcoin and it's going to store my value into the future because nobody in DC or New York can print the money. And that, when that starts to click for energy professionals, that's when it's game on. Well, it's interesting because the other good line I have with folks when they say, well, I don't understand what a Bitcoin is. I don't get it. And I'm like, what is gold other than the fact that it's marginally attractive on the queen's neck? I mean, it doesn't have a lot of utility in this world. It was just a finite amount. Well, but that is the core of it, right? People do not know why the dollar is valuable. They do not know why gold 
was valuable. They don't know why gold emerged as money. I didn't before I got into Bitcoin. I had to go down that rabbit hole. I tell people that they don't. Uh, and they don't know why Bitcoin is valuable. But that is not unique to Bitcoin. It's like, go ask somebody why 325 million people in the United States accept dollars in return for finite goods and services. When you do that, they will say something like it's a collective hallucination or it's a belief system. But the key is they do not understand money. Everybody in the world, and I had to approach this with a, a lot of humility, so every I think that everybody does. I don't project this onto people. Everybody has taken the function of money for granted. Now, everyone has also taken the function of energy for granted, um, I believe, but but more so money, that, that it just has worked or it's always been there, and they've never had to ask the question, what is money? While the ultimate answer is, it helps facilitate trade and it should be intuitive to people. If I could pay you in a form of money that can't be printed versus one that is actively printed, the one that can't be printed is just common sense better. That I tell people that is what Bitcoin is, but you will never understand Bitcoin if you don't ask the question, what is money? And when you ask that question, what is money? And you go down that rabbit hole, that's part of what my series is about gradually and suddenly, you figure out that money is objective. Um, that it's an objective good. It has objective properties. Gold had objective properties relative to any other good in the market that made it better as money. And that money solves a very basic necessity. It solves the problem of helping to scale trade. It helps to facilitate individual transactions and exchanges. Um, but in aggregate, it helps coordinate all economic activity. And it's not by coincidence. It's not by coincidence that we all use the same form of money. And it's not by coincidence that this thing called money exists. And that as people go down that rabbit hole of what is money and they start to think about what are the properties that make something a better or worse form of money, they will start to identify that those properties have been perfected in Bitcoin. And oh, by the way, that perfected form of money needs your energy to secure it. Um, that, the, that the reason why it is valuable, that this most important property is scarcity, um, but the, the ability to both have scarcity and then the ability to transfer it, well, that scarcity and the ability to transfer it does not exist without the mining function and without your energy. And that's why there's this perfect marriage between Bitcoin and energy, because ultimately you need money to get natural resources out of the ground. Uh, and we need energy in order for money to be valuable. There's this perfect symbiotic relationship with the economic good we call money and the economic good we call energy. Um, and that's why here in the state of Texas, we're uh, primed at the pump to, um, to dominate. Yeah, no, it is. It's very cool. Parker, you're really cool to come on this. I got one last question for you. Yep. Early 1980s Fox sitcom, Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Who played you in it? I'm going to fact check you on that. Okay. It was early 1990s. It was early 1990s. Yeah, I believe it was 1990 to 1994. Okay, um, look at you. There you go. It was on Fox. Yep. I had to learn this in college. Um. Corin Nemac. Corin Nemac. And uh, you probably don't know who Corin Nemac is, but um, yeah, it's Corin Nemac. So, okay. Because in fairness, I had that question written down. But Parker saw it. But I had to remember this in college. So that sounds like a hazing trick. Yeah. The Was fact that? that I knew 1990 to 1994 and could fact check you on 1980s. So I will give you that. Here's one deeper question. Before 1989, what was Corrin's nickname? Oh, stump me. Corky. Corky. It was Corky Nemac. And uh, 
He actually in 1989 won an Emmy for being in a bad after school special or something to that effect. We can go look that up on Wikipedia. Yeah, so um, I've got this badass starter jacket. Or no, it's not a starter jacket, but it's kind of like, you know, it looks like a starter jacket, like red leather sleeves, black, and it's got a Parker Lose Can't Lose, you know, kind nice. of logo on it. So, um, yeah, I I think, that, yeah, it was basically, it was the, it was a knockoff, not knockoff. It was the sitcom version of Ferris Bueller's Day Out. Yes. You know, it didn't, was very inspired. I think that's what the yeah. ad said. Very inspired by Ferris Bueller. Yeah. He almost was in a dream sequence for a lot of it. They knocked that off, I think, in the fourth season. Yeah, that's when they canceled it, too. Yeah, exactly. So, well, you're cool to come on. I appreciate you coming over. Yeah, I appreciate uh, you having me on. Enjoy spending time in Houston. Uh, Love the Empower Conference, uh, the Houston Bitcoin Meetup. We do it um, fourth Thursday of every month, same location. And um, How do people reach you if they want to chat? Yeah, um, well, one, again, I'm head of business development at Unchained Capital. Our website's unchained.com. All of my writing on Bitcoin um, is on our blog. Um, if people go to resources, they can go to the blog. It's technically under the, the drop down on the GTS series. Um, but there's 17 long form essays there on unchained.com. Or if you just Google my name, Parker Lewis graduates and suddenly they'll come up. Um, and then on Twitter, uh, I, I like to organize a lot of things around the state of Texas. And I do, do a lot of that coordination via Twitter. So my Twitter handle is Parker A. Lewis. Um, so unchained.com or Parker A. Lewis. On Twitter are the two best ways to to find out what I'm up to and what we're doing as a company. Cool.